Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on KTSIDePress.com. I'm Danny Gooby-Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC is overseas this weekend. That's right, UFC London headlined by an absolute banger of a heavyweight main event between Tom Aspinall and Curtis Blades. We'll be breaking down that tilt as, weather, as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card. as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. And spoiler alert, last week we hit our underdog and our parlay, so you're going to want to make sure you're tailing once again. And in addition to that, we're also bringing you guys interviews. First, I'll be talking to Charles Johnson, who fights Mohamed Mokayev at UFC London, a very exciting flyweight fight. Uh, and then later on in the show, I'll be talking to Contender Series Billy Goff, who is fighting for his contract on August 2nd. But before we get to any of that great content, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, you can check out my bonus selection that is only available on the Top Turtle MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas is... Brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Charles Johnson, who fights Mohamed Mokayev at UFC London, that fight on July 23rd. So, Charles, I wanted to start here. I saw on your social media you kicking off your training camp, doing a little bit of wrestling with Jordan Burroughs. How, how did all of that come into play, and in, in how often did you get to work with him? Um, I was out in Philadelphia for about a month, and I was with Jordan um, about every day for that month. Um, Got to work with him almost every day or spend the holiday with him or uh just around him or his family you know so uh yeah that was the start of camp out in philly at the prtc um with a bunch of high-level wrestlers mark hall joy mckenna uh my boy dave mcfadden and so uh it's just a, a great group of people to uh bounce off of and start the camp and uh yeah, man, just create a great relationship. Uh, I met Jordan at an event he had here in Detroit uh, a few months ago for his Beat the Streets um, company that he has. And through Rudis Sports, they had uh, the super match with Cal Snyder and uh, Jaden Cox. So I met him at that event. He was just doing commentating, but it was his event. And then... Um, you know, we spoke, we had cha- we exchanged numbers, and I just stayed in contact. And then uh, when I, right when I was got this fight booked, um, I had already messaged him about coming out there for about a month, you know, just to get some rapport with him. But I got this fight, and then it was just like perfect time in any way, and uh, just got out there and got to work. And uh, yeah, man, it, it's like big bro now, like uh, it's, it's basically like family, you know. Um, Home away from home. I'll be doing a lot more camps out there and spending a lot more time in Philly moving forward. 
Well, that's obviously a, a great big bro to have there. Now, I, I got to ask, too, was it, it, was it special being able to get out there knowing that the guy you're fighting is a guy who prefers to wrestle, is who doesn't prefer to strike. Is it? Did you put a little bit extra emphasis on wrestling during this camp? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, obviously it's MMA. Obviously it's a different style of wrestling that Muhammad comes with than uh just the uh traditional. It was freestyle season, so obviously it was just a little bit of different wrestling, but it's still you know those core values, those core things, and being able to bounce questions off of uh, Jordan and um. Just show him a little bit of the MMA side that he's not familiar with and then him walk me through things that could work and would work within different situations, Um, you know, because it's not wrestling at the end of the day. And so he enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, Wrestling is fairly uh, the MMA wrestling is fairly it's it's wrestling at the end of the day, but uh, it's different, you know, so he, he enjoyed uh, that, too. It piques his interest as well. And just uh, seeing me work, me seeing him work and it just like we bounce off each other really well. We have same core value. So the wrestling was a big uh, part of this camp, knowing that Muhammad is uh, a really good wrestler and 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 knowing that, uh, you know, his keys to victory are to be able to, you know, get me to the mat and keep me there. Absolutely makes a lot of sense. Now, you also mentioned in there working in Detroit, because I know you've been working with Joaquin Buckley and uh, up there in Michigan. Uh, is is that something that's a, a permanent switch for you? Because I know, you know, back when we spoke, when you were you were fighting for LFA, you know, a little bit of the, the training camp and your work was happening in, in Missouri, a little bit of your, your training camp, you're trying to get out to Thailand, do some work out there. Is Michigan kind of your new home for training camps? Yeah, I've been living in Michigan for about 17 months now. So um, when I initially came back from Thailand, I was in uh, St. Louis for a few months. And uh, me and Joaquin had known each other since we were amateurs. And uh, we were just kind of like the, the MMA scene in St. Louis, everybody pretty much knows everybody. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's pretty tight-knit, you know. Uh, some people, it's clicky, just like everywhere in MMA, but... At the same time, uh, I'm the type of individual that, you know, I got good relationships with everyone. So um, me and uh, Joaquin, I cornered him for his Alessio DeCherico fight in Abu Dhabi. And then when we came back, you know, he had told me about this gym that he had been training at here in Michigan. It's in Lansing. And so, um, you know, Mercia Lago MMA coach Joaquin Rodriguez, who was Rashad Evans head coach when he held the title and many of the uh, fighters who've been in the UFC. And so um, it was, I was like, man, I'll come out there and try it out. And then I've been out here ever since uh, me and Joaquin really hit it off. I, I really, um, I, I can understand his mindset and, you know, we relate to each other a lot and uh, he knows how to bring what the fight out of me, you know, and keep me in the right mindset. So um it was just a great situation from the moment I got here and, and not only just coach Joaquin, but like the guys in this gym, you know, um, it's not a huge gym, but the guys here, everybody take care of everybody, you know, like brothers, like a brotherhood. And, you know, we spend time off the mats together. Um, you know, so it's just been more of like a, uh, a brother and family type environment that I really appreciate it. Well, that's that's great to hear. Now, uh, you, you mentioned getting a chance to corner him in Abu Dhabi, the big stadium out there, a huge event. 
I, I'm curious, is does it take a little bit of the pressure off of you going into your UFC debut? You know, you're, you're going to be fighting halfway across the world. You're going to be fighting in, in London where you've never fought before. But, like, for an organization you've never fought before. But now you have this experience where you, you've taken that walk. You, you know what the pre-fight stuff looks like. Yeah, that that's a big thing, you know, like, because, you know, while I've fought in big promotions and I've seen bigger promotions and I've been at events, being a part of it and seeing the backstage and understanding what what actually happens in the flow of that day before you actually do it is um, it's great. You know, like any situation I've been in where I fought for other promotions, I knew what to expect. So when you know what to expect, um, you know. I, I try to go into things with no expectations, but when you know what to expect from a promotion and, and an organization and what they expect from you, it makes it a lot easier to get through that day. And just, you know, your scheduling, your time and everything, it just, it, it's just a lot easier to get through things. So I, I definitely feel like that was, um, it's been a, it's been a while, it's, but that was a year and a half ago. So it's like, it's been a while, but it's still the organization of the UFC that run things that way. So I'm I'm very excited to see how uh, things go. You know, it's not that was during COVID, so it might be running a little bit smoother now. And uh, you know, I, I definitely think that helped a lot. For sure, for sure. Now l- let's talk a little bit about the fight too, because you're fighting Mohammed Mokayev, who we touched on a little bit already, but. It seemed like he was looking for a fight really badly. It seemed like nobody really wanted a piece of him. What are sort of your thoughts on the fact that the UFC pulls you from LFA, gives you the contract, and immediately gives you somebody who nobody else seemed to want to fight? Um, uh, This is UFC, man. I don't think anybody's afraid of the kid. I just think it has to make sense for them, you know, as a business, as a as your you're moving forward. It makes sense for me because my my goal was to get into the UFC. So whatever name they threw across, I told my manager to take the fight. I didn't even ask him who I was fighting when he when he when we got the fight because I had already established with him that whatever name they send you, say yes, I'm going. You know, I don't care. I don't care what the time. I don't know what it is. It's whatever they send you, we're taking. So that's how this fight came about. And then uh, you know, as far as him and and people and saying that people didn't want to fight him or he could it's more so a business thing like the 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 guys who are ranked they have no reason to fight you you got to work your way there regardless of how good you feel um i'm gonna have to do the same thing and then uh also uh with flyweight that's not very hard you just got to win a couple fights and then um you know the business side of it it has to make sense you know it has to make sense for them it has to make sense for him and a lot of guys are already booked you know so it's not that people don't want to fight you. It just got to make sense, you know. And so, um, you know, that's that's the little bit of naivety and the the uh, the young. Um, I'm not going to say immature because, uh, you know, but just lack of experience with the game. And, you know, you got to put out something, you know, if nobody's trying to fight, you feel like nobody wants to fight you. You know, that's just kind of where he is at in his head, you know, but it is what it is. I don't think anybody's afraid of him. I think he just poses uh, a threat where he poses a threat, but it's nothing new. This is MMA, man. We've been seeing this. It's been a lot of great fighters who come through this organization, and it's going to be a lot more great fighters. So, uh, you know, got to the humble. You got to be a little bit more humble and a little bit more, um, you know, understanding of how everything works. And so he'll he'll get that. He's just a little young right now. And, and you mentioned he's, he's young too. You're, you're 100% right, a young guy, right? And you, you, despite just coming to the UFC now, 
have a huge track record of fighting, you know, really high-level opponents in, in all kinds of other organizations. I mean, you fought Brandon Roy Vall, who's now, you know, one of the best flyweights in the world. But but I'm looking here at the odds. You're a massive underdog in this fight. Do, do you know this already? Is this something that's, that's come across your radar that... You know, the, the sports books have you as like a 4-1 a to one or a 5-1 to one underdog, depending on where you're looking? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some other media outlets have already, like, been talking about it and, and mentioned it to me in interviews. And, you know, for me, it, it wasn't when I first heard it when I was in Philly. I mean, I was like, yeah, it just makes sense. Like, you know, um, a lot of the websites and stuff that do those betting, they just go off, like, statistics and stuff. But it's it just sees undefeated and a kid who hasn't lost you know but um if you look at our opponents i have tougher opponents i don't care if those guys did imaf and they were amateur whatever like that shit doesn't matter like they haven't fought anyone as pros and a lot of those amateur fights they had on pads and shin pads and stuff like that like as an amateur i was fighting people who were like grown men you know and so like i just feel like uh you know my experiences with fighting um I've faced a lot of tougher adversity and people um, during my time. And I wasn't like um, I didn't get groomed to the position I'm at now. I had to eat and work my way up and find my way to this position as opposed to, you know, him. He was he was positioned and groomed and placed in this position. Yes, he had to work hard. Yes, he had to show up to the gym. And yes, he had to be a professional. But at the end of the day, you know, my road to where I am now has has seen a lot more adversity than his. And so, you know, I see those odds. They don't mean shit to me, just to be real. Like, odds never meant anything to me because I've always, you know, spoke what I wanted to do and made the shit happen. So um, I, it, it's nice that I feel like, you know, my friends and buddies who bet a lot, like, I don't really bet often. I just started betting a little bit um, recently on fights and stuff, but I've never been a huge better in my life. I always said, you know, I only bet on myself, you know, so... Um, it's cool to see that like my friends and family probably be able to make a little bit of money out of this fight. <laughs> yeah, heck yeah. And you know, you you mentioned speaking it into existence and, and speaking, you know, what you want into an existence. Do you want to speak it right now? Do you want to give me a prediction? How does this one end with Mokayev? Um man, I just really feel like, you know, once the fight settles in, I, I'm uh it's gonna get very uncomfortable for him really fast. Um you know, especially if, he, if I'm able to defend shots and takedowns and get back up and make him work off his feet. Uh, I see him getting tired and I see me starting to just put hands on him a lot, you know. And so um, either I knock him out or hurt him really bad in the third or the late second. And, um, you know, either I get a uh, I know we're going to get a, a performance bonus of the night, you know, but it's just uh I'm going for the finish, to be honest. You know, I, I feel like it's it's going to present itself um, about midway through the fight. You know, he's going to come out hard looking, trying to get the finish. And that shit's going to play against him because I'm not. a. You don't finish me, bro. And I don't get tired and I'm going to be there. And so um, once he realized that it's going to be too fucking late, you know, because I'm going to be hitting that next hitting that second win hitting that third win and just taking it up as the fight goes on. So I'm very excited about that aspect of it. And uh, I'm in such fucking great shape, man. Like each, each camp you like, you wonder what's the next level you can take, you know? And then this camp, man, I've, I've just gotten stronger. I've done more than I've ever done. I've been doing three a days. I'm still doing three a days. 
I'm going to be finishing up three days this week. And then I'm as I dial back, my body's going to feel better. I'm going to feel more fresh. Like I'm still kicking my own ass right now. I got eight days of work left before I focus on my weight cut. And so, like, I'm just really excited, man. Like, I've been holding everything in, focusing on each day. The fight seems so far away. Even though it's 16 days away, it seems so far away because I'm focused on each day. So my only prediction for this is just, you know, go out there and have my best performance yet. Well, we are absolutely looking forward to seeing that best version of you. Once again, fans, this has been Charles Johnson, who fights Mohamed Mokayev at UFC London. That fight, July 23rd. Charles, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. And I appreciate you uh, for giving me this outlet to speak. Uh, Talk to you soon. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Charles Johnson. I Once again, I'm Dan Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave, Dave Tremonte. Dave, I want to start here. Uh, the main event of UFC Long Island left a little bit to be desired. We get a weird injury that finished it. <sighs> Dana White had promised the winner of that fight a title shot with Alexander Volkanovsky. But I got to ask you, is the weird ending going to wind up costing Yair Rodriguez a title shot here? Um, you know, under normal circumstances, I would say yes, but there are somewhat of abnormal circumstances happening at 145 right now. Nobody has really clearly made themselves the rightful title challenger, and obviously the weird ending to that fight didn't help Yair's cause, but Volkanovski's been so dominant, it almost doesn't really matter. And Yair Rodriguez is, at the very least, a fan favorite. He always puts on normally exciting fights. He'll do something wacky. The UFC might just say, F it. Let's just run it. It's going to look good in a highlight package video. Let's just do it. Do I think he necessarily deserves it? No. Under normal circumstances, he should have to go out and prove it and get one more win. But I could also see them just running it, and I'll be there to watch it. What do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I think when it comes to who the rightful title challenger is here, it's probably Josh Emmett coming off of that big win um, over Calvin Cater. I think, you know, that win looks way better than what Yair Rodriguez just did. And Yair Rodriguez is like little two fight winning streak he's now on or, or one fight. It's still one fight winning streak. It's it's small, whatever it is. Like, obviously, I think that Emmett is more deserving. But you, I mean, you said it like. People love watching Yair Rodriguez. You can throw it on a poster right next to to Volkanovski, and it's going to sell. And, like, you know, the UFC does seemingly like to dip its toes into different markets, and I'm sure Yair Rodriguez does nice in the, the, you know, Mexican and and South and Central America markets. And southwest of a tree like phoenix you could run them in maybe park Smith. they would play well yeah i i think so and, and that's not you know that's not a knock on josh emmett but like josh emmett just like isn't you know he's he's not one of those guys who goes out in and is extremely marketable i mean he's fun to watch hey. he's incredibly fun to watch but like yeah like you you throw him on a poster and the casual fan is probably confused to who josh emmett is Here, here's the way i'd look at it as at the u if i'm the ufc there is significant equity in Yair Rodriguez right now. The right thing to do is probably to match up Yair and Emmett and say the winner of this is the clearing away, you get the title shot. The problem with that, though, is if Emmett wins, 
you kind of lose any cachet to Yair Rodriguez title shot because he's going to be one of these 50-50 fighters that like wins one, loses one. You said the winner of this past weekend's match gets a title shot. You have some cachet behind Yair Rodriguez. Just pull the trigger now. He'll probably, he will lose. <laughs> Excuse me. It's not probably. He will lose. But if you run him against Emmett, you know, him winning doesn't make that much more of a difference, I don't think, to the hype behind that fight. It would help Emmett. It doesn't necessarily help Rodriguez. I would just run Rodriguez right now. Have Emmett go out and fight Ar- Arnold Allen or Chen Sung Jung or, or Bryce Mitchell or whoever, someone ranks six through ten. And if Emmett wins that, you know, then that's his path to the title, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and it seems wrong to, like, ask him to go win one more, but, like, it, it does feel like that's what they're going to wind up doing. I will say, I'll throw this out as another option that they might wind up doing as well. Volkanovski has a broken hand from the Max Holloway fight, right? Like, he broke his thumb, he's having surgery, I'm pretty sure, to put it together in the near future where he just had it. It's not really out of the question to run a Yair Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett interim title fight in the meantime. Like, if they need to fill out a card, you know, like a... They need to fill out a title or a, a pay-per-view card and get a title fight on a November card. Throwing that as a co-main event to a, you know, another, like, maybe not the most exciting title fight in the world. You know, like a Valentina Shevchenko title defense in November. Throwing that as a co-main event, not the worst idea either if Volkanovski's going to be out for a bit. Yeah, agreed completely. You know, one other thing I want to talk to you before we get to the reason that brought us to the dance. One other thing to bring up with you. What did you make of Nate Diaz fighting out his contract against Kamzat Chimiev. Uh I mean, like, it, it's exactly what I expected the UFC to do. Like, the, the reason they stalled this long was to just see if they could get Nate Diaz to sign an extension. Because if he signs an extension here, and instead of uh, fighting his contract out, he's fighting Conor McGregor again. He's fighting Dustin Poirier. He's fighting, you know, somebody who he seemingly has a good chance against and could look good against. Knowing that he fought his contract out, they won't let him walk out of this organization looking good. They won't do it. And, and I understand why they're doing that because, you know, that's kind of the people they are. They they don't want somebody to leave their organization on a high note and, and possibly use them to sell for another company. Um, and they pick the guy who's literally the worst matchup for him in the UFC. Now, I have a question for you about that matchup. Have you looked at odds yet? And if so, if not... Do you want to try to predict them? <laughs> so I haven't looked at them, and I just want to say I, like you, view this as they're sending him to the wolves before he walks out the door, much like they did, if you remember, Rory McDonald's last fight was with a surging Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Yep. Um, and he kind of played himself out in, of the in a bad In a bad matchup, too. Not just, like, a surging prospect, right. but, like, a surging prospect who's a shitty matchup for him. A shitty matchup for him. And Kamzat is certainly a shitty matchup for Nate. However, I do have to say one thing, though, because I thought a little bit more about this. It does – there is something intriguing in the fact that Kamzat's gas tank is not great. And if there's one thing that Nate can do, it's take a horrific beating for four rounds and then come back and surprise someone with either, you know – uh, just a barrage of his little flat boxing that finally accumulates into a knockout or a, a late submission. And I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think I have to give play to the fact 
that comes at Mike Gass, and much like Leon Edwards late, Neat could come on strong in rounds. And I, it is a main event, right? It, is a, it is a main event of a pay-per-view that has no title fights on it. <laughs> so I actually, I think that actually plays to Neat. That is his best chance is to outlast Comzet. Um, so that all being said, I do give, there is a factor here that I like for Nate. So I'm just going to say, I think Comzet should be a minus 250 and Nate should be like a plus 330 or something like that. What are the odds? So right now it's Comzat negative 1100. <laughs> oh my God. In, in Nate, Nick, or Nate Diaz, uh, plus 700. <laughs> Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> Seven to one odds on uh, Nate Diaz. And that's that's just in, in some sports books. I've seen it as high as 800 for him. Um, but, yeah, like he's – I mean, he's a massive underdog, and in, in reasonably so. They are feeding him. But I, I agree with what you're saying there. Like, I don't think he's going to win. You, you put a gun to my head, obviously I'm picking Kamzat. But I will say, yeah, like, do I think Kamzat's going to TKO him on the mat? I don't know that I do. Like, does Nate take enough damage on the mat to get TKO'd regularly? I don't think Kamzat's going to sub him. I think that's an insane prediction if you do, because uh, Nate's Nate's a beast. I don't think Kamzat's smooth enough on the feet to knock him out. So, like, he might be going five rounds with Nate Diaz, which, I mean, first of all, if he doesn't come out on top, that that might say more about him than any of his fights in the past. Um, that he didn't gas out and fought Nate Diaz for 25 minutes, uh, but you know I I'm totally in the same boat as you. If he gases out and think and and gets lazy around Nate Diaz, like Nate Diaz can sub just about anybody. The dude is slick with his jujitsu. So, um, yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. I would also just say this: if Nate somehow does pull off the upset and walks out having slain the dragon that is <laughs> Kamzat Shmaya. What color is Dana White? What what shade of red is Dana White at that uh, press conference? <laughs> I would yeah, he's gonna not be happy. Is a plan backfired? But it's kind you know the UFC can't really go wrong at today's day and age. I mean they're just a money making machine, dude. Just okay. So Nate wins. It just offer him the fattest envelope he's ever been offered and say we listen. You want to go box? You want to go fucking play with Jake Paul? Go do it, but we want one more fight out of you, and then give him some other massive, you know, give him fucking uh, Usman. Uh, he he gets Usman, Usman. Right. yeah. You could give him Usman yeah. if he beat Kamza for sure. Yes, of course. Now that also, it has to be said too. Nate, you know, we're bringing up all these good points on Nate, and let's not get it twisted. I don't want anyone to think we're clearly picking Kamza. We're just bringing up potential possibilities, and it's small, like fourteen percent chance this plays out. But that all being said, this is not an ideal weight class for Nate. I think Nate doesn't really like cutting down to 155 anymore, so this is where he kind of lands. But it's a brutal weight class for him. Um, so, you know, I just I just want to bring that up as well. I think if Nate were really in title contention, it would be at 155. That's probably where he would be served best. Yeah, and I, I think it would be at 155, and it would be eight years ago, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'll tell you what's not eight years ago. It's this week's UFC London, which is a banger of a European card. And we're going to get into our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, give you a couple of fights to play, a couple of live dogs we like, uh, and parlays to play as well. But Gumby, before we do that, one may wonder if any fine company sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. <laughs> 
Absolutely Fight Sucks and Parlays brought to you by MMA Play 365. MMA Play 365 is a prediction and betting service out here trying to help the public make money on UFC and MMA in general. For one super low fee, you get access to their professional handicapper with a six-year winning record who gives you full breakdowns, parlays, and their official bets. But that's not all. For the same great price, you get a brand new prediction software, Bayes AI, which they've been tweaking in their advanced algorithms are giving you winners each and every week. Make sure you check it out. Now, they got packages of all lengths and sizes to fit your needs, including a Daily Fantasy Sports one, if that's your gig. So go check them out at MMAplay365.com, and don't forget to use promo code TOPTURTLE for 10% off their annual package. That's MMAplay365. I love that they have packages of all lengths and sizes. Let's get to this main event. It is a banger. Tom Espinall is a 12-2 and heavyweight who has never been beaten in the UFC. He's coming off an armbar victory over Alexander Volkov. He's coming off of three performances of the night, uh, three performances of the night bonuses. TKO'd Sergey Spivak. Submission via rear naked choke over Andre Arlovsky. Uh, the dude is a straight beast, but he's running into another straight beast in Curtis Blades, a fan favorite of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, TTP. The man has only lost to Derek Lewis and Francis Naganu uh, in his career. He has been perfect other than that. He's coming off a big TKO victory over Chris Dawkins. You get the feeling he's entered gatekeeper status. He's never going to beat Francis Naganu, who's the dominant champion right now. I'm a huge Curtis Blades fan. This is great matchmaking. Uh, if he beats Tom Aspinall, I don't really know where to go with him from there. I'd love to see him against, you know, like a Stipe, a John Jones, that type of mega fight. But if Tom Aspinall wins, it's clearly uh, the the ammunition in his gun for a title shot. So who do you have here? Aspinall, the minus 130 favorite. Blades, the plus 110 dog. This is a tight one. Yeah, and this one's so hard to call, too, because we've we've seen Aspinall show off really good wrestling and really good wrestling defense, and obviously never against somebody who wrestles like Curtis Blades. Similarly, we've seen Curtis Blades throw some hands, but definitely not any, with anywhere near anybody like who has the speed of Tom Aspinall, right? Tom Aspinall, super light on his feet, moves like a welterweight for, at 260 pounds. So it's really hard for me to break down what might happen because I've just never seen either of these guys against anybody even remotely similar. But at the end of the day, I think I've decided I'm picking Tom Aspinall in this fight, um, which which when it was first announced, I didn't think I was going to. But the, the fact of the matter is I, I think he moves in and out well enough with his footwork to stay far enough away that he can stuff some Curtis Blades takedowns. I think he's far more polished on the feet, despite what Curtis Blades did to Chris Dawkins. Um, and, and I also just think, too, while while Blades undoubtedly has a wrestling advantage, I don't think he has a jiu-jitsu advantage, which is also going to, I think, play into this. Like, I think Aspinall is going to get up. I also think Aspinall can threaten with guillotines and other chokes, too, because he has scored those in the past, and we've seen him with some good finishes before. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Tom Aspinall here. I don't know how he gets it done, but, man, this one's going to be so close. This is going to be so close. I lean Blades because of the wrestling in a close fight, but uh, not going to be shocked if we're talking about an Aspinall victory and potential title fight next for him come next week. All right, let's move on because we got another tight fight. This card is amazing. 
Jack Hermanson is a minus 110. Chris Curtis is a minus 110. Which minus 110 do we like? Because Jack Hermanson is coming off a loss to Sean Strickland via split decision, beat Edmund Shabazian before that. Basically gone uh, one and one, you know, win one, lose one, his past several fights. Chris Curtis, on the other hand, uh, is 3-0 and in the UFC, wins over Hidalfo Vieira, the jiu-jitsu ace for unanimous decision. TKO'd Brandon Allen, K- Brandon Allen, KO'd Phil Haas. So surging is Chris Curtis, short notice fight for him. They're both 110, minus 110, who you got? I'm going to go with Chris Curtis here. Uh, and I've been riding the Chris Curtis train since he made it to the UFC, and I picked him in every single fight. I'm picking him here again. Look, I, I think if you come out of a fight with Rodolfo Vieira and Rodolfo doesn't get you down once, I'm no longer worried about your wrestling defense, and I never will be. And really, I, I do think that that's the only path to a victory here for Jack Hermanson because I don't think he hits harder than Chris Curtis. I don't think he's a better boxer than Chris Curtis. So at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, can Jack Hermanson get his wrestling going? And, and with the fact that Chris Curtis just went in there and stuffed uh, Rodolfo a bunch of times, I don't think so. The the one thing I do worry a little bit about is him taking this on short notice, him going across the pond and all of that kind of stuff jammed together. But, man, Chris Curtis, I think, is ready for this, and he's been fighting for all this. And, helpful piece here, Chris Curtis's number one training partner, Sean Strickland, the guy who just got done beating Jack Hermanson. So, I'm going to ride with Chris Curtis on this one. All right. Well, let's see who you're riding with on two names everyone will know, but who have not been having the easiest time of it in the UFC octagon. Nikita Krylov is a minus-190 favorite. To Alexander Gustafsson, a plus 160 dog. Never thought I'd see the day where Krylov is a two to one favorite against Gustafsson, but it is what it is. Krylov is one and three in his last four. Took a split decision loss to Glover Teixeira back in September of 2019. Came back and beat Johnny Walker via unanimous decision, but has since lost to Paul Craig via triangle choke and Magomed Ankielov via unanimous decision. Gustafsson is on a three-fight losing streak, and it's so crazy because he beat Jan Blankovitz and Glover Teixeira in 2016 and 2017. The two, the next two title, the next two champions at 205, but then he lost three in a row. He lost to John Jones for the vacant UFC Light Heavyweight Championship, then lost to Anthony Smith via rear naked choke, lost to Fabricio Verdum via armbar at his heavyweight debut back in July of 2020, has not fought in two years. What a career it has been for Gustafsson after uh, really, you know, coming on strong to that first John Jones fight for the heavyweight title back in September of 2013. He was on a six-fight win streak, faced John Jones, razor thin, lost via decision. Some people thought he won, whatever. But since that time, this man has gone three and five. He's lost to Anthony Johnson. He's lost to Daniel Cormier. He's lost to the three people I mentioned before. Um, you know, he's 0-3 in title fights. He's lost two title eliminators. He's had a really tough time of it. Can he do a career turnaround against Nikita Krylov? Your thoughts? I don't think so. Uh, you know, like the, you mentioned both of these guys on bad stretches. Like, Look, Krylov is on a bad stretch, too, and, and maybe hasn't looked as well. But, like, you mentioned back-to-back losses. Ba- both of those losses are the, maybe two of the next title challengers in that weight class. And granted, 
yeah, we, we are looking at probably Jan Blankovic or Glover Teixeira in a rematch first. But, man, Paul Craig, who's fighting on this card, might be one fight away. You know, uh, Ankolaev is fighting Anthony Smith later. He might be one fight away. Like, both of those guys are, are top-notch guys. And the thing I'm thinking about Gustafs in here, too, is just, like, he, he hasn't looked himself. And granted, that's that's having not fought in two years. He hasn't looked himself. Um, he, he looked like he was ready to give up and try heavyweight, looked terrible up at heavyweight. Um, like there's just so much, like so many big question marks for me with him. And I don't think he's figuring it out, taking two years off and then finding a way to cut back to 205. Krylov has got, you know, harder striking right now. He's probably a little bit crisper. You know, like the whole thing about Gustafson was he was a really sharp boxer for years. I think that's those days are probably behind him at this point. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Krylov here. It, it's probably not like a spot that I like love to pick here, um, because Krylov can be sloppy and get caught as well. But um, yeah, it's more of a fate of Gustafson than anything else. Totally hear that. Our underdog of the week, you already mentioned him. It's Paul Craig, a plus one fifty over Vulcan Ozdemir, another banger of a fight. Let's hear about why we like Paul Craig as a dog. Look, I like Paul Craig as a dog here because the thing about Paul Craig lately is that his hands are really coming around. Uh, his boxing is completely transformed since he was like, you know, a debuting fighter. Um, I think he debuted against the aforementioned Magomed Ankalaev and looked like he was just completely outmatched on the feet um, before he scored a Hail Mary triangle at the end of the fight. Uh, look, and, and he was good knowing that his only path to victory was like a Hail Mary submission at some point in time. Now he's figured out the hands, his wrestling has gotten better, his top control has gotten better, and I think all he has to do here is avoid that big blow from, from Ozdemir and get on the inside of him. And I think his boxing has gotten better to the point where that's a real possibility, and I think because he's dangerous with submissions for 15 minutes nonstop, I don't think Ozdemir defends him for that long. So I'm going to take Paul Craig here, and plus 150 I think is an absolute steal. Our parlay to play is Mark Diakese, a minus 295, and Nikita Krylov, a minus 190. So a couple of two-to-one favorites, really. Uh, and I'll get you plus 110 odds. Break it down. So we already talked about why we like Krylov, right? It's more of a fate of Gustafson than anything else. But that being said, uh, I, I do think that, that Gustafson's kind of past his prime here. The reason I like Mark Diakese is he's in there fighting Demir Hadzevic. And the thing about Diakese is he's showed off that he's got really good wrestling lately. Like, he's really started to put that piece to his game together. Um, and it's always been there. Maybe he's just not leaned on it enough. And now we're watching him fight a guy in Demir Hadzevic who... That's pretty much all he has, in my opinion. Like, I don't think very highly of Hadzovic striking. I think really highly of his wrestling from time to time. It looked pretty good um, when he was fighting Marcin Held, or at least, you know, held up pretty well against Marcin Held, pun intended. Um, but DKC here, I think, has the advantage there. So if he chooses to keep it on the feet, I think he lights him up on the feet. If he chooses to wrestle, I think he has that in his pocket, too, which is why you're seeing him damn near at negative 300. But... You know, you pair that with somebody like Krylov, and you can get plus money on the return. Boom. Well, that does it for this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty at Top Turtle MMA on IG and the Twitter. Gumby, this train is a-rumbling down the tracks. Where should we stop next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Billy Goff, who fights on the Contender Series on August 2nd. We're going to transition to that interview in just a moment. But before we do, I do have to mention that this interview with Billy Goff is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, 
You can log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jujitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Billy Goff. All right, and joining me today is Billy Goff, who fights Shyman Smotritsky at Dana White's Contender Series Week 2 on August 2nd. So, Billy, I wanted to start here. You, you win two belts in CES, one of the bigger regional organizations out there, one against the Contender Series veteran. How certain were you that you were going to get a call with this kind of opportunity right after that? I was pretty confident. I was, I was going to be really surprised if I didn't. Um like something like short notice fight contender series. I was like, you guys got to know me by a down. I'm doing everything you want. So I, I would have been shocked had I not. For sure. For sure. And you're right. You're doing everything that they want. You're cutting good interviews after the fights and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, maybe a late notice fight or something like that instead of the contender series or, or some other way in. How did you feel that it was contender series? It was that route into the UFC. Well, we had the option for other fights as well, um, other short notice ones. But my coach wasn't didn't think it was the right move, so I'm trusting my coach on this one, and he thinks this is the better opportunity to take. Uh, so I'm happy with it. Um, confident with the decision my coach made. That's interesting. Now I, I don't want you to have to disclose, you know, what those other fights look like or what they sound like or anything like that. But uh, how how much notice are we talking about, and how many of these offers have you had from the UFC? Um, there was a couple, um, there was a couple offers and, uh, there, both of them were about, uh, one week's notice. Oof. Uh, so that's, that's pretty significantly short. Now I got to ask you too, being a guy who's, who's been on the regional scene for a little while now and, and, you know, paid his dues, so to speak. Was it hard to say no to something like that for you? I mean, like you said, you trust your coach, but is it hard to say like, no, I'm going to take a step back and not immediately fight in the biggest organization in the world? Of course, yeah. It's absolutely hard. It sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's the right decision. It's the right decision. Um, it, it's because like, it's, it, like, if somebody offered you um, a fight with uh, with Kamar Usman tomorrow, do you take it? It's like, <laughs> if it's a big enough opportunity, it doesn't matter how unprepared you are. You just take it. Uh, but if it's not, if it doesn't give you enough, if it's not a big enough reward, it's not worth the risk. That makes a lot of sense. Now, speaking of a big enough reward, I did want to ask you this about your run at CES as well. Uh, obviously, the second title comes at 185 pounds, a, a weight class you haven't particularly spent too much time at. You only weighed in at 183. Was that kind of a, a move to get a chance at something like Contender Series to make yourself more known, to be that double champ? Was, was it just that play, or is that something you're planning on doing again in the future? Oh, I definitely, um, once I'm in the UFC, I would definitely bounce around. Um, if if the fight makes sense and it's a good fight and it's a good fight, I would absolutely go back up to 185. Uh, the... But the the short notice fight against uh, Sumter for the 185 title that was that was like all right this is pull this off that's pretty it sets me apart from a lot of people uh, it's a huge a huge like notch in my belt so it it was very much so like all right this will get me some attention. 
that makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, I got to ask too, you know, it's, it's your first time up to 85 in a while. And now you're saying, you know, I, I, I think I would go back up there again and bounce around in the UFC. How, how, what was the feeling difference in the cage? How did you feel physically different in the cage at 85? It doesn't help that Sumter is a big 185-er. <laughs> he, um, like I've trained with him, and he and I've I've trained with other guys who fought, have fought at 85, and he is stronger than most. Uh, so that was interesting, but it wasn't overwhelming. Like I was like, is it something that I got to adjust to? Yeah, for sure. Something that I got I got to train with more 185ers if I was going to do that. Um, so. It's different, but it wasn't overwhelming. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, I wanted to ask you this before we get into talking about the fight with Smotritsky is, you know, you, you're, you're a young guy, but you've been doing this for quite a long time, right? Like you're only, you're only 24 years old, but I, I'm seeing you're making your amateur debut. Were you, you 19 when you made your amateur debut? How long have you known that this is what you wanted to do and this is what your profession was going to be? So I remember when I was first getting into MMA, it wasn't, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I just was doing it because it's a good workout. Um, and I enjoyed it and it was cool. Uh, but I wasn't sure if this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. But I remember when I, I really loved the gym I was at and I wanted to stay there for a long time. And then when I got my first fight, it's, that's when I fell in love with it. It's like, this is, there's nothing else like this. I got to keep doing this. So you you've known since you were 19 that this is this is what you this was the goal this is where you wanted to be. Yes, absolutely. I remember after that first fight, it was like, all right, my entire life revolves around this, and ever since then, I've it as my number one priority. And now it, it it comes to this sort of crescendo here, or at least the the first big peak against Shimon Smotritsky at Contender Series. So let's talk about that fight. It's Smotritsky's second shot at the Contender Series. He was on it last year, got finished kind of quick by a tough veteran in Mike Moat. What are sort of your thoughts on the fact that he's been there already and you've you've gotten to see at least a little snippet of him on Contender Series? Um, it, I mean, it, I think it's just it's a better chance to prove where, where I'm at. Because like, a lot of people could look at, like, my record look at what i've done it's just, oh he's only fought on a like a really local level he hasn't really traveled all that much uh and they could discredit it because i haven't fought on as big of a stage i mean i fought for bellator um but i haven't it was always on the prelims um but now it's like all right this guy has been on the contender series you guys think he's worth a second shot so when i smash him it's gonna make me look even better I love that mentality. Now, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, fighting mostly on the regional circuit because, you know, I I do. Looking at your record, I see CES, obviously both the titles there. You got Cage Titans, Reality Fighting, you know, Bellator in in Mohegan Sun, which is, again, a Northeast fight. You know, pretty much your your whole career is taking place in the Northeast. And and you mentioned some people think that that seems a little less. Now, I'm a Northeast guy myself. I'm a New England guy myself. Why do you think the Northeast gets such a bad rap when it comes to, to you know, a national stage? It's small. <laughs> like it, there's not oceans inside of it. Um, you don't get as – and because there's, it's smaller and there's not as many promotions, there's not as many fighters, so you're not going to have as many fighters getting out there getting a bigger name. Um, like there's, there's certainly ones there. It's just not as as much. Um, 
And I don't think it gets too bad of a rap worldwide. Just it doesn't produce the same amount of numbers that everybody else does. True that. I like that. I like that that view of it. Now, uh, l- let's return to talking about Smotritsky. You said you're going to go in there and smash him. You said you're going to get that uh, finish, get that contract. Give me a prediction. How does it get done? Um, yeah, I definitely want to knock him out with my with elbows. Um, exactly how, I'm not sure yet. I, I th- I've been thinking about it a lot, <laughs> picturing it in my mind. Um but I'd, I'd like to put him out, get a nice highlight real finish, so that it make it hard for Daniel to say no. Well, we are looking forward to it, and you heard it here first, folks. This has been Billy Goff, who fights Shyman Smotritsky at Dana White's Contender Series Week 2 on August 2nd. Billy, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a great day. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, MMA Play 365, and, of course, Better Than Vegas. And as a reminder, you can check us out on the socials, at Top Turtle MMA, on both Instagram and Twitter. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.